it's not only that, but to show the conditions that they're in, not even just to mention the weather that can be 10 degrees outside where they have icicles hanging from them, but the fact that they're not given any food, water, the trucks that they're in, they are covered in feces before they're taken inside and killed. But not only that, but to show the love and kindness that these animals still have in their hearts. You are listening to Plant Strength Radio. Each week, remarkable stories of plant-based healing mindfulness, fitness, nutrition, and activism, as told by those with the expressed desire to affect lasting change in our world. Real people, real experiences. Your host, Bobby Lynch. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Plant Strength Radio. I'm your host, Bobby Lynch. And today on the show, we have Jamie Logan. Jamie is a 21-year-old vegan activist born and raised in Manhattan, New York. She's the host of the podcast, Under the Veg Fluence, which is available on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. And you can find her online at jamiekurtzer.com. That is J-A-M-I-E-K-U-R-T-Z-E-R.com. And on Instagram at jlokurtz, J-A-Y-L-O-K-U-R-T-Z. Welcome, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me, Bobby. This is yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I know, of course. I know. I'm, I'm super excited to talk with you because activism was one of the reasons why I ultimately went vegan following influencers and activists like yourself and really kind of yeah. seeing the insides of the animal agriculture industry. So um, Absolutely. I'm super excited to have you on. <laughs> Thank you. It definitely wasn't something that I planned on doing with my life. Um, I never even thought I would go vegan, actually. Really? So, um, never. Oh, my gosh. I I feel like every vegan ever said, oh, I could never go vegan. <laughs> no, seriously, like three or four years ago, if you'd asked me, could I imagine being vegan? I would have said not a chance. Never. never. Uh-uh. No, no, no. So really being able to help other people make the connection and help them along their way in the process. I, I, it's, it's my passion, you know? Exactly. And that's really what it's about. It's life is about doing what you love and what brings and doing what brings you happiness. And that's exactly what you should pursue. And that's what I encourage everyone to do is, is follow their, their passion and their happiness. Absolutely. I think though with activism, it definitely can cause me stress and pain, you know, and because it's, it's definitely, it's not something that's very well respected, I think, in our society, at least not today. But right. same thing when we look at civil rights activists, you know, people thought they were crazy. Right. And so I think, you know, today to be on the forefront, fighting for the animals, doing rescues, doing disruptions, really trying anywhere that I can to bring awareness and light to this movement, it can be really hard. And we'll talk about the struggles of it as well. Um, but to, to know that I'm fighting for something that I believe so strongly in, that does bring me joy and happiness. So. Good. Yeah. And that's, that's what really matters the most, to do things sit right inside. You know, if you just you quiet yourself down and you listen to your heart and you let that guide you, that you can never go wrong. Exactly. Just doing that. Um, when you follow your passion, money, that will all come. But really to focus on something so big and something so outside of yourself. It, it, it is, I feel like I found my purpose through this. That's awesome. And that's truly going to make a difference in this world. Thank you. I hope. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and if you think about it too, just thinking about, like you just said, civil rights, right? If we flip back not that long ago within my mom's lifetime, my mom's 61 years old. Yep. She was born in 1958. African-Americans didn't have rights. Flip back 100 years ago to this year, 1920, women just gained their rights, right? And then everything with the LGBTQT movement, yeah. right? It's just all of these, it, that's it. at first when it's something new, it's going to seem abrasive. It's going to seem disruptive. And, but change is uncomfortable and pushing through that is what's necessary to make a difference in this world. Yep, you said it. <laughs> so awesome. All right. So let's get into it. So my first question for you is what led you to vegan veganism? How, how did you how did you become vegan? How long have you been vegan? We'll start there. Awesome. How did you so become vegan? I've been vegan for about two and a half years. Almost yeah, almost two and a half years. It's it, it's crazy. I mean I feel like, you know, wow. Um 
I went vegan, I think, because just little exposures along the way to this information. So of course, nobody wants to sit there and watch these horrific slaughterhouse videos. Nobody wants to do that. You know, it makes us uncomfortable. It's sad. It's cruel. But then again, what we don't realize is that we are the reason that it's happening if we consume these products. So it was like little things like I think I would come across a Facebook video, but it didn't change me. I was like, I don't want to watch this, whatever. It wasn't until I was about 13 years old, I was driving down the highway in Indiana with my grandparents and there was a slaughterhouse truck, a livestock truck. If you guys have ever seen one, it basically is like a a really, really large truck with holes on the side of it. And I looked in there and I saw that there were pigs in there. And I was sitting in the car next to my dog at the time. And I just remember looking at my dog and looking at the truck and thinking, what's the difference? You know, I mean, you're looking directly in their eyes and they're just, it it must've been a hundred degrees outside. You know, they don't have food. They don't have water. They're stacked on top of one, each other, one another headed to their deaths. Um, and I just, something in me, I was like, this isn't right. No matter what society tells you that, oh, but bacon, but, but that, but that is not right. And that is not okay. And I knew deep down it wasn't. And so I kind of forgot about it for a little bit, you know, and I I mean, I just didn't want to think about it. I put it out of my mind and I was like, I'm just not going to eat bacon. You know, little did I know that it's like, this is the same thing with all the animals, cows, chickens, turkeys, sheep, goats. I mean, it's the same thing with all of them and fish too. Yeah. And I think, you know, just because people don't feel that innate connection to the animals because the only time they see them is on their plate, I think that they're just um, disconnected. And so we, we close our eyes to it. So that was kind of the first ugly exposure, I think, to the truth behind these industries for me. But it wasn't, that's not what did it for me, mm. believe it or not. And don't forget that I didn't know about dairy or eggs either. Right. So, um, my first thing was, oh, okay, you know, I'm I'm 18 now. Let me try going pescatarian. So now that so I'm that's, that's that's like five years after having that initial experience. Yeah, five years, five years, and I definitely I would say limited my meat intake, but I didn't even know the health risks at that point. I just. You know, it's a social thing as well. You would go out with your friends and the last thing that you want to do is be the one to be like, what's in this? Like, oh, I don't want to eat that. And just like, I didn't want to cause any issues really. Um, It's because it's easier just to follow the crowd and not to stand out. Exactly, exactly. So like when I, I want to really stress to your listeners, like I know where they're at. Like I completely understand because I was there. But the best decision of my entire life was going vegan, becoming a leader, and now changing the lives of my friends and family and the people around me. And um, I, I, I went from being pescatarian to vegetarian to then vegan. And I just, I wish that I went vegan sooner. There's no need to be consuming, oh my God, dairy products. I mean, the science is crystal clear that it's not good for us. Right. Um, and the horrors behind the dairy industry, separating mothers from babies, impregnating the mother over and over again so that we can steal her breast milk. It's sick. And then shooting the baby in the head, killing baby calves, and the mother wants her production. So it's, it's, it's an industry that um, is completely outdated. That was never okay, never right, never will be right. And um, we need to stop supporting it. And when there's 200 different plant-based milk options, there's no need to reach for the same one cow breast milk option on the grocery store shelf there's options nowadays and we're so lucky with being in 2020 that's the beauty of of it being 2020 it's it is literally the easiest thing to go vegan so convenient nowadays it's so convenient and yes of course is meat and dairy still more convenient of course because it's Mm -hmm. produced at such a larger scale but the trend is going plant-based. That is where the world is going. And we are really at just the forefront mm-hmm. of that change. Yeah. And it's it, so nice to see. Yeah. And I never considered myself somebody like a leader or an activist. I, I kind of just wanted to, you know, go with the flow and uh, get along with everyone. You know, like I didn't want to cause any problems. But um, now that I've 
really made this connection. I feel so grateful to have had my eyes open to it now versus, you know, 10 years from now. I mean, it's, 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 it's it's becoming the norm slowly, but surely. Um, the world is not going to go vegan overnight, unfortunately. Of course but, not. Uh, it's, it's definitely a start. And I think that by getting these options into fast food places, while it's not decreasing, it, while it's not necessarily saving many animals because they still are going to be producing meat at these fast food chains, it's introducing people to plant-based options. A Ooh. different way of life. Exactly. And that it's accessible, cheap, tasty. People care a lot about taste. Of course. And when it comes down to it, is it taste or life? Right. What's more important? But I don't feel like I'm missing out on taste. I eat everything that I used to, except a vegan version of it. Exactly. And I think they taste better. Better. Eating, eating, Eating meat and dairy and all animal products for the first 23 years of my life and now being plant-based without meat for over two years, fully vegan for a year and a half, I can 100% say that I have become more of a foodie since going vegan. I've tried so many more dishes than I ever would have thought of trying before in the past. And I just on the bus, I went on a snowboarding trip this Sunday and we were on a bus and after we got back, I had my dinner made. My dinner was a big Buddha bowl, sweet potato, red kidney beans, cauliflower. I had two uh, Boca burgers, they're wow. standard burgers. And then I had one of the Boca cri- uh, crispy chicken burgers in there. So three different, wow. so three, three veggie burgers. I know I <laughs> eat a lot. Um, and then I also had wow. half an avocado and some coconut aminos. And oh the kid God. behind me, as soon as I took it out, he was like, whoa, what's that smell? That smells amazing. That, and I was like, and I told him everything. And he was like, wait, there's no meat or anything? I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm completely vegan. These are veggie burgers. Wow. Yeah. And he was like, wow, that's like, that's, that just sounds so no good. No one harmed for that delicious filling meal. Yes. Mm-hmm colorful you're getting all your nutrients you're not filtering or recycling your nutrients through a dead body right exactly straight to the source exactly and i i have so much more energy too i slept two hours on saturday and i swear i got to bed at 145 the bus left at 5 30 and it was like a 20 minute drive just to meet the bus so i got up at 345 i slept maybe another hour total of broken sleep on the bus. And I snowboarded all day, stepped on the mountain at nine, took a 30 minute break for lunch and was on, like didn't get off until the last run when the lifts closed at four o'clock. Yeah. You're, you're, you're feeding, you're fueling your body with life. And in turn, our cells react to that. Yes. And then, and just the energy, because that's, that's when people, one thing people miss. And what I used to miss too, is that our cells are powered by glucose, carbohydrates, every cell in our body utilizes glucose for energy. Our brains alone as healthy adults, the average, we can, on average, our brains use 130 grams of glucose per day. And you're not getting any of that from meat and animal products. You're just getting Protein, yes, we need protein, but you're also getting a ton of saturated fat and cholesterol. And being fully vegan, I have no problem hitting 150 to 200 grams of protein a day. Oh, no problem. No, not at all. I feel like I get more protein than I ever did. Like, you got almost too much. Like, there's a certain limit. Like, you don't want to be going overboard with the protein. Right, exactly. And it's so easy to do that while eating meat and animal products. And it's just not good for your kidneys over time. And there's so many, just so many different things that we could go into. Yeah. And you're not getting any fiber from animal products, whatnot. Um, seriously. I mean, best decision I ever made. And I, I can't stress it enough. Like just try it and like, see how your body feels. Just give it two weeks. Like my skin cleared up once I cut out dairy. Oh my gosh. Cause I was vegetarian for a few years. Mm-hmm. Dairy was holding me back, man. Really? Did you have, did you suffer from acne? Uh, yeah. Really? And I think it really had to do with my diet because once I cut out dairy, 
a, like a lot of this inflammation that you know you get from dairy it went away right like I, yeah I still break out here and there but nowhere nowhere near right what it was like and and two especially with the dairy and just animal protein in general and being a woman you're consuming a lot of mammalian estrogen and so that's just going to elevate your levels of estrogen even more and and the big thing that people miss and this is something i used to be under that it was just that bro science that dogma around soy oh soy raises your estrogen levels it's completely different estrogen. The estrogen in soy are, is a, it's a phytoestrogen. It's a plant estrogen. And although it mimics mammalian estrogen, it actually has an anti-estrogenic effect. So what happens is the phytoestrogen comes into your body and it attaches to our estrogen receptors. And what it ends up doing, not all of them, but some of them, and what it ends up doing is it blocks real dietary sources of mammalian estrogen, what we produce, but also what animals produce and what's locked into their meat and byproducts once they're killed. And once we consume them, we're actually elevating our levels of estrogen because we're taking in real mammalian estrogen the phytoestrogen, once it attaches to our receptors, it blocks the, the mammalian estrogen from taking hold. And that's why on average, you see vegan men have 13% higher testosterone levels because their mammalian estrogen is reduced, which relatively increases their overall testosterone levels. And it's crazy because I used to, I remember going out to restaurants and eating like Asian restaurants, for example, and I would order in a, order a dish and it would come with tofu, just not, you know, not realizing it. And then I'd be like, I would take the tofu off or give it to a friend. I kid you not. This is what I used to do because I was under that influence of, I need, I, I like, I'm, if I consume this tofu, it's soy and it's going to raise my estrogen levels. And I don't want to do that because I want to keep my testosterone levels high so I can build muscle. And it's just, it's just so crazy once I actually really learned the science behind everything. Right. And now it's just, for you. I mean, try to get organic, non-GMO, whatever it is, but of course, yeah, it's but, amazing for you. I eat it every day. Yeah, and then yeah, and and it's just crazy because all of my numbers are continuously increasing in the gym, and it's just it's just awesome. But enough about me. I want to hear a little bit more about you. So tell me, how did you become an activist? So I'm so glad you asked this because there's such a big difference between just being vegan and being an activist. So I was vegan just vegan for about six months before I started speaking up about it. So I was that vegan that I didn't want people to know I was vegan. I was like kind of embarrassed about it. And I just didn't really talk about it ever. And I would say- So to get a timeline, you went vegan 18 years old, yes? I went pescatarian 18. Then about a year later at 19, I went vegetarian. And then I was vegetarian for about three years. And now I've been vegan for two and a half, about. So wait, so you're a vegetarian at 19? Yes. Okay, I understand. Yeah. So, and I was vegetarian for a few years, but uh, I made the transition to going vegan after seeing one of the dairy videos. And I actually did Veganuary, which I highly recommend to your listeners. Try it out because it's basically January 1st, you do your New Year's resolution, you pledge to go vegan for month and they send you a lot of information about it, but it's not overboard. It's not over the top. So like you have to be the one to seek out the information for yourself. Right. And it's, it, it was amazing because I, I, they were sending me recipes and I felt supported throughout the whole process. And then I just stuck with it. You know, I've been vegan ever since. That's vegan. awesome. So yeah, so I went, I went vegan and you know, I would sit down at a meal where animal products were being consumed. They didn't ever even think twice about it. Wasn't until I visited one of my cousins who lives out in California. She's been vegan for I think 13 years now. Wow. So back when it was a real struggle to be vegan. Yes. Because there was no convenient foods. Yes. And back before, you know, we were really, we had access to all these videos now. Right. You type into Google, you're like, how is chicken produced? And it's, you know, it shows you slaughterhouse footage. So, um, Basically, I went to go visit her out in California, and she participates in a uh, group called Anonymous for the Voiceless. So I'm not sure if any of your listeners have seen them, but basically it's a 
display of, it's like kind of like a demonstration where you stand in a cube and you hold TV screens that show footage of the animal agriculture industry. And you go into public places and you stand there and just have the footage playing. And it's up to people if they want to come over and watch it and see what's going on, or they could keep on walking. It's very peaceful, educational, and we have um, people that will talk to people, just ask them questions like, have you seen this before? What do you think about this? You know, and help them kind of walk them through like, okay, so if you were to go vegan, like what would, how, how would that work for you? You right. know? And so it was, it was a really eye-opening and empowering experience. And it kind of was my first step into like speaking up for the animals mm. and realizing that nothing is going to change unless I speak up for them. Right. And unless I kind of put myself out there and, and, and be the voice for the voiceless. So I started with the anonymous for the voiceless cubes. Now it's not necessarily under the title anonymous for the voiceless. Now there's, you know, as volunteers, we just get together and we'll do this on our free time. And, and it really is super empowering and amazing because you also meet really cool people. Like I'll have people come up to me when I'm at these events and they'll be like, Hey, I saw you like a year ago at really? one of these events and I'm, I've been vegan ever since. That's and awesome. That right there is one of the best feelings in the world, knowing that you have changed somebody's life. Right. I mean, health-wise, I, I, I literally changed their life, and they're going to go and change other people's life. It's a ripple effect. Yeah. It's and then not only other people's lives, other living beings' lives yeah. as well. Yes. Oh, yes. And that's what it comes down to for the, exactly. for the animals. And so started with those and I met incredible, incredible people doing activism. Like once you find your support and your people, like you are, tribe. it's your tribe. Like I have never felt so aligned with people before. Yes. You have friends, you have your family, but literally like to have that moral backbone like it it is it's so important incredible. these people i consider my family now i yeah. mean i love my fellow activists i can meet another vegan activist and like immediately be like you just connect on such a super high level such a deep level it's it's, it's awesome. Been, it's so incredible so for for people that are, are listeners that are trying to go vegan or just going vegan find other vegans, get yourself into like a support group. And you can do this. I'm looking up like on Facebook, there's Facebook groups, vegans in New York. Mm -hmm. That's a great Facebook group. I'm, I'm in that. So feel free to reach out message, you know, um, vegans in New Jersey. I go to school in New Jersey. So I have like my group here, there's clubs and oh, I'm just doing chalk activism together. So anyway, it led to meeting other activists that did other types of activism. Right. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to get into that now or did you? Yeah. Yeah. No, tell me a little bit more. So, so, that's ultimately what led you to activism. And it seems like you do a lot of street outreach. Yes. Yes. With the anonymous for the voiceless. So what, what does that entail? Your activist work entail? Yeah. So with anonymous for the voiceless or with the cubes now is what we're calling it. It's not necessarily under like any title now. Um, it just entails talking to people and just being really kind and educational and asking them questions, seeing where they're at in the journey, because ultimately like it's about planting seeds. I'm not expecting right. anybody to just go vegan right on the spot, which has happened and is amazing, but not right. everyone's there yet. And it, it didn't happen for me. It took me time. Yeah, it took me years. Like yeah. I'm not expecting it, but I, I am expecting them to, you know, educate themselves and learn the information and then slowly but surely come to it themselves. So um, that's what Anonymous with the Voices entails. And that was, I think it's probably one of my favorite forms of activism. Um, I rarely, I, I don't think I've ever really had, there are the occasional asshole that will yell, oh, sorry, I don't know. I'm saying no, don't worry about it. <laughs> for, me, for me, swearing is just words. Okay, right, okay, me too. <laughs> There's the occasional asshole that will like yell, I love burgers, you know, and it just goes to show like the cognitive dissonance and right. 
and they're not there yet. You know, uh, I'm sure, I don't know if I, I, I never really disliked vegans. Like I always thought like, wow, that is an inspiration. Like that's a goal to get to. Right. Um, but yeah, so I got into that and then I met other activists that did other forms of activism. So I started bearing witness outside slaughterhouses. Really? So we call, we go to vigils and I work with the Newark Animal Save and, um, it's heartbreaking. It is really, really hard. And that really puts you at the front of like, this is the victim. These are the victims. I mean, it's no longer through a screen anymore. So by going there, I'm bringing my followers, my friends and family, they see that I'm there and that makes all the difference. So going to these vigils, I think I've had more people go vegan than anything else. Really? Uh, I, I go there to document their stories, to tell their stories, um, so that they're not just forgotten in another statistic. Um, right. It's not only that, but to show the conditions that they're in. Not, not even just to mention the weather that can be 10 degrees outside where they have icicles hanging from them, but the fact that they're not given any food, water, the trucks that they're in, they are covered in feces before they're taken inside and killed. But not only that, but to show the love and kindness that these animals still have in their hearts, they will come up to the little truck and they will lick your hand. They just want to be pet and they're confused and, and to live such a short life of abuse and, and terror, it is, um, it is heartbreaking. They don't, it, they're, they're treated worst, worse than our worst criminals in the entire world and their only crime was being born. Um, I think going to a vigil, I think, especially if you're not vegan, I think it's, it's, it's something that you should go to and see for yourself. Cause I, I would always make up lies in my head and I'd say it's quick, it's painless. They don't even think about it. Um, they walk to their own deaths. Like I would literally make up shit in my mind to make myself feel better. Oh, but grass fed. And All of those terms are just, just, just terms that don't mean, mean a thing at all, that are just slapped on packages to make people feel morally better about their decisions. Yeah. Grass-fed simply means the animal is fed a diet of grass and forage, does not refer to its living conditions. So when people think grass-fed, more often than not, they think they're out grazing on wide open pastures that are full of luscious green grass under a vibrant blue sky that's completely false what they're confusing it for is pasture raised but pasture raised isn't regulated by the government exactly the time spent outdoors isn't specified so essentially just like it's the dead of winter and you have a dog and it's super cold out so you're not really taking them for walks that often because it's like two degrees so it's just like hey sally go outside do your business, come back in. They could do the same thing for cows. Go outside, you're out there for a minute or two, come back in, boom, pasture raised. You can slap that on a label. Same with the egg industry, the pasture raised eggs. It's literally BS. Like in the cage free, the free range, there's no regulation. And it's the exact same thing. Cage free means chickens aren't just housed in a one by one foot cage where they're not able to move they're now just in a you know humongous pen with thousands of other chickens all stacked on top of each other that's cage free right and they're in there with sick dead oh, it's chickens crazy. they fight they eat each other they're all de-beaked so that with a sharp razor blade when they're born so they don't help each other in the tight conditions there's it's nothing insane. To say about it nothing um and i didn't realize that and neither did i no, but not even just to mention the grass-fed beef. Even if these animals lived a life in the Taj Mahal hotel, okay? Even if they freaking lived an amazing life, at the end of the day, putting a knife to their throat is not justified for taste. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, my dog lives a fantastic life. We love her. She's part of the family. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to send her to the slaughterhouse. They all end up with the same knife to their throat, fighting for their lives. And I'd like to argue that these animals that lived a quote-unquote good life have more of a desire to live and have more of a will to live. And what's, and what's a good life? Right. right? 
is right. so just just giving a, an animal a place to live and giving it food is that a good life right. is yeah. it really a good life and i almost think what's worse than the slaughterhouses is i think family raised oh. farms where the animal that are and the animals are sent to the slaughterhouse i think that's even worse and here's why i apply this principle of honesty and transparency throughout my whole life. Yeah. I'm very honest with myself and I'm very honest with everyone else around me. And that lends trust. And for me, I feel you are gaining, it's, it's terrible because you're raising these animals like they are part of your family. They gain, you, you know, they gain your trust, mm-hmm. right? And well, you gain their trust, essentially. You gain their trust as they trust you. And then all of a sudden, one day you turn on them. I think that's morally even worse than an animal just being born into the animal agriculture industry where their life is essentially laid out for them. It's, there's, even though they're confused, they're pretty much living a life of suffering from day one. There's no break of trust there. And that's why I personally think that's even worse. They just see them as crops. They don't see them as living beings that feel pain, that have the capacity to suffer. And really, just like our pets at home, there's no difference. They want to live. And if one thing that we could give them is just the ability to live, is it really that hard, especially if we don't need these products for survival? I could just cry thinking about it. It's like, this is the hard part about being an activist is you are so hyper aware of the suffering and the abuse and neglect that these animals go through. And that like every single day, millions of animals are being slaughtered. Every single day. And we're so, we're just so, we're just so blind to it. And we're so deconditioned. We're just so conditioned to not even think about what we're doing. We're almost acting like zombies. And that's honestly what I think about when I go to the grocery store now, every time I walk past the meat aisle and I just, I'm just so awake to what that meat actually is. And I honestly start to feel sick to my stomach now because I just see people browsing through the meat aisle and when you really stop and think what, what I'm looking at right now is I'm watching a person sit there and browse through dead body parts to find the one that looks the most appetizing to then go home and eat. When you really think about that, you're a zombie. What do zombies eat? Dead bodies, right? What, what, how, and that, and it's like, once you really connect to that and I just think about, wow, like that, but I also think about where I used to be too. I was just so disconnected with that. Yeah. And I just didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Exactly. Because it's so conditioned in our society. It's so normalized in our society when everybody's doing it. When the food on the plate doesn't look like the animal, you're disconnected. Right. It doesn't look like an animal. Chicken nuggets, you don't really think, oh, like this was a chicken that walked around and that want, that had a life. And, right. And, that maybe was named Sally. Like you don't think that, you know, and people will dumb down like the, the fact of the intelligence of these animals and use that as an excuse to kill them and justify their, their killing of them. And just, yeah, just because like they are not physically the ones killing the animals. You can't, the slaughterhouse workers are doing it because you're employing them to like, and, and it's, I'm glad that you brought up that point about the intelligence of the animals because pigs are smarter than dogs. Yes. Pigs have the capacity of a three-year-old child. So yes. does that mean because your three-year-old child isn't as smart as you that you should put a knife to its throat and kill it to eat it? Right. Obviously that's cannibalism, but there are some cultures that are cannibals and there are many cultures that eat dogs and cats. Yeah. There's the Yulin Meat Eating Festival, Dog Meat Eating Festival in China every year. And I find it funny when people are like so outraged. And there's millions, billions, I think it's 69 billion animals a year that are slaughtered for food. And 55 billion of those are in the U.S. alone. Yeah. Which is just insane. It's 150 million per day. And I just, what else are we counting marine animals? 
That's in yeah. the trillions. I mean, yeah, the number of 55, 55 billion includes land and sea animals in the U.S. alone. So if we're talking just land animals worldwide, that 69 billion is just land animals. Then tack on the sea animals, it's just insane to think those numbers of all of that life. And then people will ask, well, what would happen if everyone went vegan? What would we do with all those animals? Well, if everyone went vegan, there wouldn't be, those animals wouldn't exist at those numbers. No. We wouldn't need, we wouldn't need to breed them into right. existence just to ultimately kill them. Right. And we, the food that they're eating, by the way, we could be feeding the world. We're feeding exactly. animals that are raised for food over 50% of the agriculture in the U.S. alone. A ton of food. We could be feeding over 10 billion people. Yeah. And world hunger. And maybe it's not as simple as that. But theoretically, like, if we, if we stopped eating meat and went vegan, like, we would have a lot more food. Oh, uh, we, so, we would have so much more food. So here's a fun fact. So in worldwide, humans drink five, about 5.2 billion gallons of water and consume 21 billion pounds of food each day. Wow. That's humans worldwide. Cows alone drink... 45 billion gallons of water and consume 135 billion pounds of food each day. That is just cows. Just cows. We currently produce enough food to feed a population of over 10 billion people, but we have close to 1 billion people classified as starving or malnourished with our population just under 8 billion. Right. So we feed, we have a population of 7.8 billion currently. We f- produce enough food to feed 2 billion more than our population. And yet 1 billion are still classified as starving or malnourished. Breaks my heart, man. It's, it's, it's I mean, crazy. it's all for money, greed, and, and you know, human vein. You know, and, and not only that, but when we look at the water usage that you just brought up, we are going to be seeing water wars in our lifetime so that people can enjoy a damn burger. And this applies to every single person because there's one planet. There's no planet B. Okay. And our children and our children's children are going to be the ones to suffer the consequences of our actions. And that's who we have to start thinking about. If you really want to think in terms of just humans and you're not even thinking in terms of the animals, Think of just the future of your next of kin yeah. because of what you're doing to animals. Yeah. So even if you don't care about the animals, I get it. There are some people who just really oh, could care God. less. Unfortunately, that's just the facts. Yeah. And if all you really care about is your own species, well, what you're going to be, what you're doing to your own species and your family, if you plan to have a family, right. is you're destroying their habitat. You're destroying their planet. And so they're going to be the ones who are suffering when you're long gone. Exactly. And so if you really care about humans, then you would make a change now. And that starts with animal agriculture because it is the number one cause of climate change. It accounts for in total 82% of the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, 51% from the animals and their byproducts. So their farts and manures. Um, as well as 18% from their production. So that includes the factories, the deforestation of land, the production of feed, and then another 13% from the transportation of the animals to the slaughterhouse and then their meat to the supermarkets. Yet nobody talks about it. So when you add that up, that's 51, 18, and 13. That is a combined total of 82% of the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere are caused by animal agriculture. Yeah, it is completely wild also that we can enjoy the taste of food. It is beyond me. But again, I and, and again, I personally really like to come from a place of empathy and understanding for everybody. I'm I, the reason I am vegan is because I'm so empathetic, but I also think in terms of I just was very disconnected with all of this. And that's kind of like why we're here. And I'm very, I'm very, um, I guess I would say I'm, I'm, I'm very, um, 
the word is slipping my mind. Um, just I'm, I, I, for lack of a better term, I, I very much respect everything that you're doing. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I very much. I wanna, yeah. I want to get into like the different forms of activism real quick too. Yeah. I think that what you're doing is super important and that's probably going to connect with a ton of people and it does. I mean, you're changing people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I got into doing, I do the vigils, the cubes, they're very educational, but I also do disruptions and demos. And especially with fur in 2020, that I think we need to be a little bit more aggressive about, and we need to make it socially unacceptable for people to wear fur. And this could be confronting them and kind of shaming people for wearing that. It is 2020 and there's no need to wear fur to stay warm. It is cruel. Animals are electrocuted anally and vaginally, and they are skinned alive a lot of places. Um, it is really, really, really not, it's not okay for people to be wearing fur in 2020. So what a lot of these disruptions entail will be attending protests. Sometimes we'll go into stores like Canada goose where coyotes are trapped in the wild shot in the head to make these jackets, not accounting for the, the geese that fill the coat. Um, and we'll go inside these stores with megaphones and start, um, sharing the information and may not be the most peaceful approach, but it does get change. And when we do these celebrity disruptions, like I just disrupted Jessica Simpson last week, somebody that is notoriously known for promoting the fur industry. She started posting pictures wearing faux fur. And all we did was we were saying, shame on you, Jessica Simpson, for promoting the fur industry. Shame on you. I mean, nobody's getting violent or attacking. I would never do that ever. I wouldn't even throw blood on people. I think that that's a little over the topic, I wouldn't really want to assault anybody, but by just saying these words, like shame on you, how dare you, you know, like you should be ashamed of yourself. What kind of person wears fur in 2020? And oftentimes I'll try and start off. Like if I'm confronting an individual, I'm not aggressive like that. Like I'll usually just say, Hey, like I I just noticed you were wearing Canada goose. Uh, Do you have any idea how your coat was made? And I'll start off with that. And sometimes I'll have a great conversation. I think that's a good way to start because, again, it kind of comes to that disconnection. Right. People just don't know really what they're consuming. Right. No, and and I I agree. Um, Yeah, they don't know. You're right. They're unaware. Um, But what the the, the whole purpose of really doing that is, yeah, some people say, okay, the, the animal's already dead. It's already on the jacket. The purpose of doing it is we want to get the fur off the streets so people can donate their fur because when they're wearing it, they're promoting it. So we want to get it off the street so they can donate their fur trims, their fur coats to a company called Coats for Cubs. I'm sure you can Google other animal rehabilitation centers. And what these companies do is they take the fur and they will wrap orphaned animals in the fur, which it provides comfort for the animals. Um, Interesting. I didn't know that. So yeah, so it, it, I, I do try to offer a solution. I'm not just saying to these people like F you. It's more of like, listen, like it, what's done is done, but you shouldn't buy more. And now that you're aware, like you can spread this message so more people don't buy it and you can get rid of your fur. You can donate it. That's, I mean, I feel like the least that we can do. Right. I mean, speak up about it. And I mean, I would want to know if I were wearing cruelty like that, I would want to know. I would want somebody to tell me. Yeah. I yeah. have a little Especially. picture. Yeah. I'll show people and say like, this is your fur trim. Right. Um, and like, sorry, not sorry. It, like, Unfortunately, I understand. Yeah, because then if you think, what, what would happen if you were wearing a coat and that fur came from a dog or a cat, right? How would people would feel and how, how would people react? And, and what do you think people would be saying to you and how people would be looking at you and how people would be treating you? Yes. But why is it okay to come from a coyote or a fox or Absolutely. a goose? I understand that. Just like there's racism, just like there's sexism, there's speciesism. When we place the value of one living being's life over another. And I feel like that's the root of all problems right there. 
when we look at, like, if I were to say, oh, I'm better than you, my life is more important than you, that right there is creating divide that's creating exactly. these problems. And this is why society is divided. If we could just exactly. respect and, and love all life, things would be a lot better. A principle that I apply to my life, when I make a decision, if I know that decision is going to involve the life of another, whether human or another living being, I always think, what if I were that person or that creature? And if I were that person, what would I want done Mm -hmm. to me or for me? Mm -hmm. And if what I'm about to do is not what I would want done to me or for me, I don't do it. Absolutely. Because it's easy. And this is a great quote by um, Isaac Singer. Nobel, 1978 Nobel laureate winner, Isaac Singer, is that human beings see oppression vividly when they're the victims. Otherwise, they victimize blindly and without a thought. It's easy to sit back and say, hey, you know what? It's not being done to me. It's okay. So what? It doesn't matter. But then once you flip that switch and you put that person in the victim's place, And they really start to connect with, oh shit, what this is like, I'm, my life is now actually on the line. I am about to lose my life. I'm about to be tortured. I'm about to, I am about to suffer. That tone of voice and that stance quickly goes from this moral high ground to please don't take my life. I want to live. I'm sorry. I like, I don't, this is not what I want. Right. And that's why every decision I make, and that's really what led me personally to veganism. And it seems it's exactly what led you to veganism as well. And I know for a fact that it's definitely what keeps us both vegan is continuously connecting back to the animals and what would we want done if we were in their place. Ethics, absolutely. And I think always look at oppression from the victim's point of view right because Because if you don't you're just going to keep oppressing and victimizing blindly Mm -hmm. and without a thought exactly and this is the least that we can do just like you know you know we wouldn't um you know beat a dog to death or kick a dog to death like when we don't you don't have to this is the least that we can do is just leave animals off our plates leave their secretions off of our plates simply Um, reach for the plant-based meat instead of the real meat Right. Or, try your best. Exactly. Become aware and educate yourself. We live in a world where it's so normalized. So I consistently have to watch these videos and put my own discomfort aside for the real victims. It's not about us. Like we really have to, if we can't see this, this slaughterhouse footage with our eyes, if we can't even confront it, how is it good enough for our stomachs if we can't even see it with our eyes? Right. Um, it really is about taking a step back and, and, and continuously educating ourselves, continuously just learning this new information so that we can spread it to others and become active. I think all vegans, we need to step up and become active. And if every vegan was an activist, we'd see more of a change. So what would be your best recommendation for somebody looking to become an animal rights advocate and activist? Oh my God. First of all, I would just thank you. I'd give you a hug. I would say it was, it's the best decision I ever made. I would say start off by learning this information really thoroughly and fully. Um, I read Earthling Ed's ebook, which was really helpful because when I first went vegan, I didn't know how to answer people's questions. Right. I didn't know the, how, you know, what about protein? Or I didn't know, but God, you know, those questions, but God put animals here. I didn't know how to handle those questions. So I would come off as kind of like angry almost. And like, you know, like, but I don't want you to ask me that. And it wasn't, it wasn't helpful for really anybody and nobody. It was really just because you just didn't know what to say. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. So I would say, um, really learn the information and watch YouTube videos of activists like Earthling Ed, James Aspie, Joey Carbstrong. And, um, I would say number two, most important thing is find your group, find your support system, meet with other vegan activists. And from there, as I said, it will lead you into other things. Like I started off doing the cubes, then I went to vigils and then it led to disruptions. I mean, now we, we go into grocery stores and I will hold signs in the meat aisle that say like animals did not want to die. 
Like I will play their screams throughout the supermarket. Now, again, that activism is not for everybody. Like you, Bobby, may not like that form of activism, may not want to do it. But personally, I think different tactics are going to connect with different people. Right. So, like, um, uh, as long as we're not like hurting anybody, you know, right. like I'm targeting one person, but I do. You're just letting your voice be heard. Their voices. Yes. The animals. Their voices. Yeah. Yeah. Um, letting them, letting them be heard. And it is uncomfortable that this is, you know, activism is, is, is tough because then what happens is you're preaching this love and kindness. You're preaching the information for the animals. And then you come home and your family is cooking a dead body. It's right. like, what do you do? And then it becomes like, I don't want to go out to eat with my family anymore or go to Thanksgiving dinners because I cannot be around the products simply because I can't erase the images from my mind. And it's like almost hypocritical. Right. I mean, then again, if you can go out to eat and you can order an amazing vegan meal and show people, wow, this is amazing. You could be vegan. I think that that's amazing. And we need you to do that. And if you are able to handle being around all the animal products, go for it. Me personally, I'm not pleasant to be around and it kind of like shines a negative light on veganism. I can't help it. And I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying, but right now I think it's a statement not having me at family events. Right. I understand. I'll go after food. food. Like after the food served, I'll, I'll, I'll go or like a wedding. I just won't sit down at the table and eat with everybody else. Like so it seems like the best way for somebody looking to get into animal right, become an animal rights activist, um, is to just try different things and kind of not put themselves out there and not be afraid to just let their voice be heard. Right. And so just kind of starting slow working and working your way up. Right. And social media. This is a huge thing. This is kind of like how I started too. I would post like a little thing on my Facebook like seven reasons why dairy is toxic to your body. Right. Or, and then I some and then I would suppose like a, a video of an animal being killed. I mean, like slowly but surely it kind of like led and I don't I mix it up on my personal social media. Um I have a way of doing it where I don't want people to come to my page and leave. Like I want them to look through, you know, and not be afraid because right. it's kind of scary. You know, nobody wants to see that. So I'll post like a mixture of pictures of like myself, my family, you know, doing things that are, look fun. And then if you swipe, you'll see like a quote, you know, look at the, the oppression from the victim's point of view and then right. slaughterhouse footage. So you're just kind of just slowly kind of getting yourself out there. And that's kind of what it, and it, what it really, of course, it, the change, as we, we touched on it earlier, change is uncomfortable and it's, it's very uncomfortable, especially when you start, but it's becoming comfortable with that uncomfortable uncomfortableness. And that comes over time. The more you just put yourself out there and you push through it. And then eventually you'll be exactly where you want to be letting your full voice be heard and speaking up for the animals like you've always wanted to. Yes. And with that too, though, I cannot stress it enough. Self-care, 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 because you will go crazy. I mean, there's so many different things to be at. There's so many different things to do like for the animals. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, like you have to take care of yourself too. Like, right. Do not forget that. And oftentimes like I'll, you know, be up till three in the morning and then I have to, I'm going to go to a slaughterhouse at five in the morning. I don't get sleep and it really runs you down, but we need you in the long run. So right. take care of yourself. If you need to take a week or two off from doing any activism, do it. Take the time. That's great right advice. Now, right. Yeah. Right now I, I, even this is a form of activism. And I think, you know, posting on social media, that's kind of taking it back a little bit rather than being at the protest. And this is not, I needed, I needed a week or two weeks. So I'm taking a little break and that's hard for me. That is really hard for me because I want to be everywhere. I feel the same way just with fitness and, and because I just took a a deload week. So a deload week for those of you that don't know is just basically a break from the gym. So after you're consistently training intensely for a number of weeks in a row, your body starts to feel the effects. And if you don't rest and recover, you're never going to fully see the results that you want to see because it isn't always about work, 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 work. Because through all that work, 
in resistance training, for example, you're breaking your muscle tissues down. The only way for them to repair themselves and grow bigger and get stronger is if you give them the proper time to rest and recover. But the same thing goes with anything in life. If you don't give yourself that break, activism is a, is really very mental. And then of course it turns physical. If you're not getting enough sleep, you're constantly putting yourself out there, you're traveling a lot, and that can ultimately drain you overall. So I think that's a really that's really great advice is to give yourself that break. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, you know, talk to your other activist friends if you need to, like don't bottle up these feelings because we're all feeling it. Like there's some days where I'm just like I get really sad about it and I just I, I get kind of hopeless which is not the mindset that I think we need to have. It's not, but sometimes I do go there. And like other days I'm like, we're going to see a vegan world. Like right. the world is changing. Right. And it's, it's slow and it's going to, it's going to take some time, but it, it will get there eventually. I hope in our lifetime. I mean, whether it's because the planet can't sustain it anymore, whether it's because an outbreak like the coronavirus, like because that's caused animal products, like whether it's people connecting to the animals ethically, like whatever it is, just please begin. Right. It takes it, and it's and it takes time. It takes time. But I think this is a great, great place to transition into our creative segment growth spurts and growing pains. So this is a, a segment that we like to do to end every show where we talk about a growth spurt, which is a recent accomplishment that you're proud of. And this can be health, work, or life related. And then a growing pain, something that you're still trying to get better with. Again, health, work, or life related. Okay, great questions. Um, so I would say um, one thing that I'm really, really proud of that recently just happened was we had a documentary filmmaker from Cave Light Films come and film one of our vigils, and the video went viral, and wow. it up to 9 million views, and I'm so grateful and proud that I was able to be one of the people in the videos to be a voice for the animals and change people's perspective and lives, and, and they were seeing the footage from the slaughterhouse. That's amazing. That video I mean, is, is circling now this politics just reposted it, which is huge. And that is, I, is, is if we could get these videos that are getting viral and getting out there, that's going to be a game changer. It's me. just another stepping stone. So that was a huge accomplishment. And I got a lot of people, I don't know how they found my, my social media. I mean, I think my name was on it, but like my social media, like JLo Kurtz, it's different. I got a lot of messages from people being like, thank you for being there. Wow. Like I'm going vegan. Like it's amazing. Wow. We also got people, this will come with activism. You know, you get used to it. You kind of develop thick skin. I also got a lot of death threats. Right. Um, then again, that's not who I'm trying. You want to reach for the low hanging fruits, the right. people that are more open-minded. That's where we need to start. So that was a really big accomplishment that I'm proud of, um, to get the message out there for the animals. That was really awesome. Good. Good for you. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. So what's, uh, what's a recent growing pain, something that you're still trying to get better with? I think something I'm still trying to get better with is dealing with my close family and friends because I feel like I'm the toughest on them. Right. Like, it's the hardest part about being vegan is seeing people that you love the most contribute to the very thing that you're fighting every day against. Right. And so I come home and like, if there's a milk carton in the fridge, like I almost feel like okay, I'm going to write, not your mom, not your milk on the carton. And like, I'm going to, you know, not go to these family meals and whatnot. And it really, right now, this is where I'm at. And I'm trying to work on like, what is going to be the best tactics to get them to change? Because it's like with your closest friends and family, you almost don't have that credibility that you have with a stranger. Right. You, you don't, you don't have the same filter. Right. As funny as that is, they're like, Jamie, shut up. You know, whereas a stranger would be like, down, you know? <laughs> right, right. They do, not, they do not feel like I'm, I guess they don't, I don't have that credibility. So I'm really working on trying different tactics with them. I think the next step though, that I'm going to take is take them to an animal sanctuary, see the animals up close where they're rescued, where they're saved, learn their stories. And hopefully they'll get there on their own. Right. At the end of the day, as vegans, as activists, we can't force anybody to do anything they have to be the ones to change themselves and I'm it's it took me a while to get there and say that 
Um, we can provide the information, uh, but at the end of the day, they have to be the ones to change. Exactly. Change has to come from within. And I think that's something I've also been dealing with myself too. And I've realized that you catch more bees with honey than vinegar. Mm. And it's applying that same principle of empathy and understanding to people as we do to the animals, because we have to think where we were personally not that long ago, dealing with these same internal struggles. Once we were starting to make the transition, going plant-based to pescatarianism, to vegetarianism, to veganism, and then even before that, when we were still stuck in the blindness, in the dark, not knowing what we were contributing to, we have to connect with that as well because that's where we were and understand that there are a lot of people who are there still. And if we come off as militant, and that's where a lot of vegans get a bad rap. Arrogant. Or arrogant or above people, right? Who are we? We're taking this moral high ground. On the one hand, we're saying, well, you shouldn't be taking that moral high ground over an animal. But then on the other hand, taking a moral high ground over our own species, we can't really do that, right? That's not going to get anywhere. It's not going to, we want people to come to the light side. And the way to do that is to gently hold their hand and guide them in. But then ultimately recognize, again, and this applies to anything that you want to change in your life, that change has to come from within. And the best thing that we can do is to just educate and enlighten and come from this place of just calmness. As hard as it, as hard as it, as, as hard as it can be, because I struggle this with this myself too, I'm very much there with you on that. But I've seen that I've had a lot more success in bringing people to veganism and by doing, taking this route. And even though it's hard at times, again, I'm still thinking bigger than myself because not only am I thinking in terms of the life of this individual as a person, because I know what going vegan is going to do for them, but also what it's going to do for the animals. And if taking a calmer approach to people is going to ultimately lead them to being vegan, which is ultimately going to lead them to helping the animals. The end goal, that's, that's the end goal. And that's, that's what I'm going to do. Civil rights movement and civil disobedience, having like a calm hand and being like, but love all people sometimes doesn't work. Right. Um, we need to see what's working, what's not. I don't think anybody really knows. Um, right. However, I think we got to keep trying different tactics. And I think always at the end of the day, coming from that place of love, like when I'm exactly options, it is from a place of love. Like you can never go wrong with that. If you come from a place of love right. and compassion, you really can never go wrong. Right. Right. And, and that's where we're coming. But the problem is the messenger gets shot when trying to get the message. People don't want to listen to the message, so they shoot the message. And the passion, and, and as well, the, the, the messenger can come off uh, because they're fueled by a fiery passion. Right. And emotions can get the best of you at times. Oh, I'm, I, I'm guilty of it, yes. Yeah, 100%. I'm guilty too. So don't, don't feel bad about that. And I would definitely say too, for those of you who are listening, who are looking to become an animal rights activist, who are already, don't feel bad. Just know that if you, you know, at the end of the day, what you're doing is right. And you're coming from a very good moral and ethical place. Obviously, of course, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to turn some people away. It happens, but it's a learning experience, and that's all we can do is just continue to learn and grow and get better. And change minds where you can. If you notice that what you're doing is changing minds, absolutely keep it up. Exactly. Um, exactly. I've, I've seen minds change with all different forms, all different, you know. So it, um, well, you know, we'll see where we're this movement. I think in the next ten years, I think will take off. 
I agree. I agree. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. This is amazing. Keep it up. I'm so happy to share this information and be a part of the community with you. Yes. And I'm glad to be in a, a part of the community with you as well. And before we wrap up the show, is there anything you'd like to, to add or to say or for how people can contact you? Yeah, please. Um, DMs through Instagram at JLo Kurtz is great. I'm here for you. I'll send you recipes. We're all here for you. Really just, I can't trust it enough. This is the best decision I ever made in my entire life. We love you. We're here for you. Really understand that you're not alone through this. And the animals in turn will thank you. So thanks for listening, guys. Plant Strength Radio is hosted by Bobby Lynch. Produced and edited by Kiwan Harrison. Special thanks to our guest, Jamie Logan. If you would like to hear more podcasts like this, please like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts can be streamed. To learn more about Plant Strength, the company behind this podcast, please visit www.plantstrengthperformance.com or follow us on social media at Plant Strength Performance. Plant Strength, sustainability for mind, body, soul, and the environment. Thank you for listening.